All right. Hey, good morning once again. Uh, today we are continuing in our Behind the Music series. I think this is week number six. And uh, today uh, we are going to be looking at a song in the, the second week in the Tears for Fears suite I announced last week. Uh, today we're looking at a song from Tears for Fears, Tears for Fears called Everybody Wants to Rule the World. And we're going to listen to two minutes and one second of it. And I think it will do a good job of kind of setting up our time together as we look at the power of empire and how we all desire to in one way or the other rule the world. So let's go ahead and listen to two minutes and one second of Everybody Wants to Rule the World by Tears for Fears. All right, if you're listening on the podcast, you might want to go listen to this on the computer somewhere because you won't hear it through the uh, podcast audio. All right, there you have it. Everybody wants to rule the world. Let's uh, recap those lyrics uh, as we get started. Welcome to your life. There's no turning back. Even while we sleep, we will find you acting on your best behavior. Turn your back on Mother Nature. Everybody wants to rule the world. It's my own desire. It's my own remorse. Help me to decide. Help me make the most of freedom and of pleasure. Nothing ever lasts forever. Everybody wants to rule the world. There's a room where the light won't find you, holding hands while the walls come tumbling down. And when they do, I'll be right behind you. So glad we've almost made it. So sad they had to fade it. Everybody wants to rule the world. I can't stand this indecision, married with a lack of vision. Everybody wants to rule the world. Say that you'll never, never, never need it. One headline, why believe it? Everybody wants to rule the world. All for freedom and for pleasure. Nothing ever lasts forever. Everybody wants to rule the world. Have you noticed um, our world has a rather contentious history? 
It is filled with power plays. It is filled with people of cruel ambition rising to power, building empires in their own image. This is a, a constant theme in the human story. Over this past year, I've been listening to a podcast called The History of Rome. The History of Rome. It's got like 300 episodes. Um, to summarize this story of Rome, the history of Rome in one sentence, I would say, it is one long story of struggle and of conquest, of attack and counterattack, of territory gained and territory lost. Previously, I had simplistically assumed that the Roman Empire rose smoothly over time. That it rose smoothly over time as this juggernaut of, of superior force and unstoppable power. But it's really not that simple. In fact, as you listen bit by bit to the story of Rome, the history of Rome, it's kind of exhausting and it's really tumultuous. I get a sense that in the early years of Rome, nobody could sit still. Nobody was satisfied to just enjoy things as they were. No one could sit still. From its founding uh, around 700 BC all the way up through the Punic Wars and around 200 BC, those in power in the empire were constantly, constantly jonesing for more land, for more wealth, for more control, and more power. It's a non-stop story of back and forth, with battles fought, cities burned, and ultimately lives wrecked. I, I really feel bad. I feel really badly for the normal people in and around the Roman Empire who were just trying to raise their families, who were just trying to, to make a living, to grow crops, and to sell some stuff in their village. I feel bad for these people. They were under constant threat under constant threat of being invaded, of being trampled, of being killed by foreign armies and hostile interlopers. You see, empires are not a new thing. Empires have long risen upon the tides of war and oppression, of subjugation and destruction, by, by laying siege and by conquering other people's lands, their interests, and their identities. Every empire that you learned about in history class operated in this same way, operated along these same lines. The Huns, the Mongols, the British, the Romans, the Ottomans, the Assyrians, the Babylonians. But we are naive if we think it is only megalomaniacs and it's only powerful nations who have empire ambitions, who have dreams of conquest and of ruling the world. Here's what I think. Each and every one of us has a little Napoleon inside of us. Each and every one, you and me, we all have a little Attila the Hun or an Alexander the Great or a Julius Caesar inside of us who is eager to build our own little empire. We are all empire builders. We want to build our own little empires. Now, we may not hope to conquer foreign lands. I mean, truly, I can barely keep up with my own yard. I, I don't need to conquer other people's yards. but. We may not hope to conquer foreign lands, but we can't stop thinking about getting ahead, can we? We can't stop thinking about getting ahead, about beating out the co-workers, about destroying the competition, crushing them. We are driven by our own sort of empire dreams, these fantasies of, of impressing our friends, of earning, of owning, of controlling more, of gaining the world 
in mastering our own destiny. Each of us, in our own little and local ways, we're restless. We are restless in our pursuit. We are desperate to figure out a way to, at the end of the day, come out ahead. Welcome to your life. Everybody, indeed, wants to rule the world. So where did this all start? Where did this all start in us? Did our drive for empire building arise out of, out of necessity, out of a functional need for expansion, or a practical need for stability, security, or survival? Or is there something more? Is there something deeper within us that drives us to cross the Alps and to conquer foreign lands? Even us ENFPs, us Enneagram 4s, we feel it too. We feel this restlessness. We, we, are, we feel this restlessness driving us to be in control, to hedge our bets, to minimize threats, and ultimately to play God. We all want to play God. What is it that makes even us middle children feel this need to throw elbows, to stake our claim, to fight for our share? and to put, push to get ahead. It's in me too. As someone who tries to look at things and interpret life through a biblically informed lens, through a, through a scripture-shaped worldview, I can't help but think that this impulse, this desire to build empires, I can't help but think that this impulse goes back to the Garden of Eden. As soon as our ears listened, as soon as our ears listened to the lie, and as soon as our hands grasped for the fruit, our eyes were indeed opened. And once they were opened, they saw things that they were never meant to see. We beheld, and we took upon ourselves the weight of knowledge, the weight of knowledge of, of good and evil, the knowledge of gain and loss, the knowledge of with and without. By usurping God's place and, and stepping into His role, we violated His guidelines, the way things ought to be for us. We gained a terrible awareness which we were never created to bear. And it kindled inside of us a pervasive restlessness, a pervasive fear and insecurity and in what's called FOMO, the fear of missing out, <laughs> that something's going to happen that's outside of our reach, that we're going to miss out on, that might just get away from us, and we might be left behind. In being exiled from our Eden home, God, in His justice, honored our choice. He honored our choice, and He let us experience the consequences. God allowed us to try to become our own gods. God allowed us to step out and to live in the world we chose. So we set out. We set out east of Eden, away from, gar away from God's well-ordered garden, into our own disordered world. We walked away from an integrated life with our Creator into a disintegrated life on our own. And chaos has been the result ever since. It wasn't long in this new kind of world that we stepped into. It wasn't long before this grasping and this need for control rose up like a stone held high above Cain's head as it crashed down on his own brother's skull. 
As homeless wanderers, we spread across the globe, building our idols, building our towers to heaven, and working tirelessly to convince ourselves that we're good without God. But here's the thing I've noticed over and over again. Our towers collapse, our tongues become confused, and we are scattered. We are beset by indecision, and we are married with a lack of vision. We work hard, we win battles, we conquer territory, we build cities, we establish empires, only to see a law of entropy of sorts at play against us, undoing it all over and over again. And this cycle plays itself out over and over again in human history. It's interesting that from the beginning, the life with God has been centered in Him. And how do we center our lives in God? It's through trust and dependence. Trust and dependence upon God. Dependence on God, trusting in Him, depending on Him as our Creator and our Sustainer, as the Giver of life and of all good things. All those things we truly need. Everything God has done in the introduction and execution of His redemptive plan has required a return uh, from us. It's required us to return to this central place of trust and dependence. Our faith requires. Our faith pivots upon this idea. Our faith requires a reliance upon God and an abandonment of our selfish ambition. This is the crux of the challenge we face as humans, to trust fully on God, to rely on Him, and in doing so, abandon our selfish ambition. From Noah to Abraham, from Moses to David, from Elijah to Jesus, God has always been the one who is making provision for us, who is giving lands, who is establishing nations, and He is requiring us to only trust and obey Him. That is all at root that is required of us, to trust in Him and depend upon Him in our obedience. But, <laughs> this is hard for us. That's a tall order. That's hard for us, isn't it? Choosing to trust God, choosing to obey God, it strikes at the very heart of our fallen condition. It challenges us to undo the very thing that drove us away from God. It, it, it challenges us to unhand the fruit. It calls us to surrender. It calls us to be conquered. To allow Jesus to come and to conquer us. So when Jesus comes, he spends a lot of time reminding us. When we read scripture, we find that Jesus spends a lot of time reminding us. And it could all boil down to two words. Trust God. Trust God. He speaks to our human hearts knowing that this is in us and it's a challenge. He says, hey, trust God. Trust God. Over and over again, Jesus is found teaching us to abandon our empire-building efforts, to enter into His kingdom, and in doing so, find rest, find peace, find healing, and find salvation. If you have your Bible, I'd invite you to look to Matthew chapter 16. Uh, this is that passage where Jesus talks about, hey, what, what good is it? What's it worth to gain the whole world but lose your soul? This may be a familiar passage, but I'd encourage you to turn there. Matthew chapter 16. Let's look at verses 21 through 27. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. 
But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. <laughs> that's, that's a bold move. <laughs> I'll reprimand Jesus. So he began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, that this will ever happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap for me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you want to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Is anything more, worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with the angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds." So yeah, powerful passage. Let's look at verses 21 through 23 first. I want to break this down uh, a little bit here. 21 th from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. Your Bible might say, get behind me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. So what's going on here? Just like God warned, warned Cain in Genesis, Jesus here warns Peter. He says, hey, keep a close eye on your ambitions. Keep a close eye on your control issues here, Peter. We must master our impulses. We must master these urges inside of us for control. Otherwise, they will devour us. They will control us. Even in our faith, our human desires can creep in and kind of pollute the mix. Uh, our human desires can creep in masquerading as good, even godly ideas. But in Jesus' view, we have to be careful because these very things can become stumbling blocks. Our good and godly ideas can end up standing in the way of the work that God actually wants to do. It may sound harsh, but Jesus rebuked Peter by calling him Satan. Yowzers. That's a, that's a, a stiff rebuke from Jesus, right? Get behind me, Satan. He calls Peter Satan. Now, it's, not, it's important to understand that, that Peter, it's not that Peter was actually Satan. Okay, he wasn't like Satan possessed in that moment. It's not that Peter was actually Satan, but that Peter was falling prey to the same deception that Satan used with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Satan was at work, even in that moment, it's like, Jesus, you should protect yourself. You should preserve yourself. You don't have to do this. You don't have to go and, and suffer. You don't have to go and die. And Jesus says, stop. Get behind me. What was at work here was the same kind of angle that Satan was using with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden when he says, did God really say? We have this immense capacity to doubt and to work the angles. Is it just me? Or does the enemy rarely tempt you with obviously bad and evil things? Man, for me, the enemy never comes. Satan never comes to me and is like, man, you know what you should do today? You should go kill somebody. Or you should go rob a bank. Or you should be get involved in some sort of nefarious activity. No, I mean, it may happen. Lots of, I mean, who knows. But 
normally it's not the bad and the evil things with which I'm tempted by the enemy. For me, more often than not, it's the things that sound really helpful. I love to help, right? It's the stuff that sounds like good, uh, something good to do. It's stuff that God might actually appreciate me doing for Him, right? I mean, that's the kind of stuff I can get busy with. I can do all this stuff, become so active in helping God out that I'm actually becoming a stumbling block. Is that even possible? But Jesus calls Peter, and Jesus calls you and me. Jesus calls us out, and he says, stop. Jesus says, stop. Stop what you're doing. Your primary task here is to trust. Trust me first in everything. You'll recall the verse that says, seek first the kingdom of God, and then what happens? All these things will be added to you. All that is necessary will fall into place. But first, trust in God. Let's look at verses 24 through 27. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything more worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with His angels in the glory of His Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. So this is one of the most iconic passages. I think we've all probably heard it, what, you know, to gain the whole world and lose your soul. And there's a reason it's, it's well known. This is one of the most iconic and at the same time, same time challenging statements in the whole Gospels. Jesus says we must not just try stopping. We must not just stop trying to control all the outcomes. We have to take it a step further. We must actually crucify our selfish ambition. It's not just squelching behavior he's after. It's actually crucifying things like selfish ambition. Our drive, our deep-seated drive to build empires. Now, does this mean we shouldn't work hard? Does it, mean, does it mean that we shouldn't create meaningful stuff? No. We do those things, but we keep centered in trusting Jesus first. This doesn't mean that we are to be passive. This doesn't mean that we shouldn't invest and work for important outcomes. It simply means we do not place our trust, our hope, and our worth in our own efforts. We don't identify that, those things about ourselves through our own efforts and by our own hands. A Christ follower must constantly assess their motives. We must constantly assess our motives. We must challenge our thinking. We are commanded in Scripture to capture every thought and make it obedient to Jesus Christ. We are to uh, be learning how to lose our life so that we might fully find it in Him. I mean, we hear that stuff, but it's challenging, and it's a daily decision. I will crucify my selfish ambition. I will lay down my life so that I might more and more find it in Jesus Christ. In the end, temporal success and fame, the, the ruling the world at the expense of our own soul, this is the saddest, most tragic outcome of all in the eyes of the one who made you. If we had a chance to sit and just ask God, our Creator, hey, what's the saddest possible outcome for a human being? He would say that you would gain the whole world and lose your soul. That you'd miss out. That you'd miss me. This would be the saddest, most tragic outcome of all. 
Coming to faith in Jesus, it leads us into a whole new kind of conflict with ourselves. Following Jesus confronts us. It does? Yes. If you've never felt confronted by your faith in Jesus, I would implore you, encourage you, press in further. Apply yourself to studying Scripture. Apply yourself to letting the Holy Spirit come and, and do that work in you, that refining work. It leads to confrontation. Following Jesus confronts us with a call to die to ourselves. This isn't just some half measure. Come to me and die. The call to follow Jesus is, it, it confronts us with a call to die to ourselves, to abandon our self-preservation, to forsake our tyrant egos, and to surrender our little empires. Yes, it's hard. It's challenging. It's a lifelong work. But it is how we are saved. It is how we discover true life. It is how our souls find rest. And it is how we make a home with our King Jesus. Yes, everybody wants to rule the world. All for freedom and for pleasure. Nothing ever lasts forever. Everybody wants to rule the world. Eventually, in the end, the Roman Empire fell. Why? Because that's what empires do. Empires rise and empires fall. Your empire will fall. Mine will too. Our little empires, they will fall. Our only hope is found not in an empire, but in a kingdom. As Rome spread, as Rome spread across the, the Mediterranean world, uh, it really did something remarkable, something unheard of in the ancient world. Victorious Rome actually welcomed conquered people to become citizens. Instead of wiping them all out, decimating, just destroying their culture, they would win the battle, they would win the war, and then they would extend invitation to the conquered peoples to join the Roman Empire, to become Roman citizens. All those conquered people had to do was lay down their arms and swear loyalty to Caesar. And here's what's interesting. This is all King Jesus requires of us too, isn't it? That we give up and we give in. That we invite him to come close, to conquer us, and then unexpectedly, maybe, we hear this invitation from him to join him, to become a citizen in his kingdom. This is good news. May King Jesus conquer you today. May King Jesus conquer you, and may you lay down your arms. May you surrender your little empire so that you might become a citizen by faith in the kingdom of the one who is indeed making all things new. Let's pray together. Father, we need to be reminded, oh man, we get so, so confused and so, I don't know, just pulled in so many different directions. It's hard sometimes to discern what's going on inside of us, what's, where are the enemies at work, where you're calling us, and what's just us, our flesh, getting all mixed up in that. And, and sometimes it's, it's bad, evil, destructive stuff, but more times than not, it's good stuff. And that good stuff is, is the enemy of that great stuff you've called us to do, uh, called us to be in the world. So God, I pray that you would give us clarity right now, that you'd help us see clearly what's going on inside of us. God, we're still affected by the fall. We're still affected by that human urge to build empire. That slaps right up against the work you're doing in us through your Holy Spirit. And this is the daily walk of a Christ follower, to enter into that battle, to ask you once again to come and conquer us, to refine us, to cleanse us, and to draw us further and further into your kingdom. So God, I pray that you would. I pray that we'd hear the message of, of Jesus today as he says, hey, the worst 
possible outcome in this time you've been given as a human being, this time you've been given on earth, is for you to gain the whole world, but lose your soul. To miss out on life with God, that which you were created for. God, your word tells us that this is all heading toward a good and satisfying conclusion, that all things are indeed being made new. That Jesus is making all things new, a new creation, new heavens, new earth, and that we have a place in that. Through faith, by faith in Jesus, we have a place in that new world. We can be citizens in the kingdom of King Jesus. So we all have a decision to make. We have that decision when we first, the first time ever, we turn from living life on our own terms. We turn from crafting that little empire in our lives. and We turn to Jesus. We repent, as the Bible says. And we turn to Jesus and say, I will follow you. I'll give up on my empire dreams and I will follow you and follow your kingdom dream. The one you made possible through your life, your death, and your resurrection. We all must come to that place. But then even once we follow Jesus, uh, God, I pray that you'd remind us that this is a daily decision to stay turned toward Jesus, pursuing Him, living life in His kingdom. So God, I pray that you bring conviction in our hearts if necessary, uh, uh, clarity as necessary. I pray that you would bring a, a renewed desire to discover more and more of what it means to live life with Jesus, to be set free, to find rest, to find peace, and to find healing in our souls. Lord, it's all possible. It's possible in Jesus. That's the whole reason He came, to demonstrate a way to make a way, to open a way that we might come back to you through faith. So I pray that we would today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, thanks for joining us today. Um, as we uh, get ready to, to finish up here, I want to remind you that uh, even as we start to reopen and get back to some kind of normal, it's important that we stay connected. Uh, during the shutdown, during the lockdown, we've had the care groups going, and that's been an important way for us to check in and to care for each other and to stay in communication. Those kind of things need to continue. Let's don't just go back to saying, well, I see, each, I see these people once a week in person, so I don't need to talk to them during the week. We need interconnectedness. We need to be caring for each other. It's more than just a pastor caring for a congregation. It's a congregation, a body of believers caring for each other and doing that well. So I pray that you would do that. Uh, we're going to continue things like the weekly roundup, really kind of trying to invest in our care groups and keeping that network going because I feel like that's going to be like a trellis in a garden. That's going to be the structure upon which uh, growth happens, but also fruitfulness is multiplied. So we really want to invest in our care groups, and that takes all of us. Now, we talked about reopening. Reopening, we're looking at next Sunday, getting back to some sort of uh, in-person gathering here. So 1030 next Sunday will be our first worship gathering back together. 1030. Uh, we have lots of new policies and procedures in place for cleanliness, social distancing, uh, stuff like that. Check the Facebook page. Uh, check your email. We're going to do our best to send all that out to you so it can be clearly uh, read, clearly understood. There's going to be certain parameters we're going to expect and uh, certain policies we're going to have in place. So come next week. Let's worship together. Let's open God's Word and pray and enjoy each other's company. But let's also uh, be aware that it's going to be a little bit different uh, as we come together. I mean, we I've never taken your temperature before. We're going to have you taking temperatures and stuff like that. It's weird, but we'll get used to it. And hopefully it's not forever. So yeah, looking forward to that. Can't wait to see you. So uh, let's pray. If you're in the studio audience, you can stand. Let's pray as the Lord taught us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now all glory to God who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. And now may the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Also with you. Yeah, have a good afternoon, everyone.